made for autistic people, parents and carers of kids on the autism spectrum. This is a different brilliant with Orion Kelly. No two autistic people are the same. Open conversations that inform and engage world's better place for autistic An people. Aspect podcast focusing on the strengths, interests and aspirations of the autistic community. Welcome to a different brilliant. Welcome and thank you so much for listening to A Different Brilliant. I'm your host, Orion Kelly, and I'm autistic. My purpose is to inspire, inform, and entertain you through focusing on the strengths, interests, and aspirations of the autistic community. A Different Brilliant with Orion Kelly. Now, in this episode, we are exploring the topic of exceptional needs in autism. My guest is Cheryl Lumsden. Cheryl and her husband, Kenneth, have worked with Aspect for many years and have a son on the autism spectrum with high support needs. Cheryl, thank you for joining me. Ah, thanks so much for having us. Lovely to be here. Let's start by introducing your son. So I'd love you to tell us a bit about your autistic son, Callum, his strengths and his interests. Let's get to know him. All right. So Callum is 20 years old. He's actually a twin. So he has a twin brother and he's the youngest of four children. He is a typical 20-year-old. He loves to stir the pot. He likes to torment his brother. He likes to mimic people. He likes to laugh. He likes to, he's very social. He likes to interact with people. He has an amazing attention to detail. He sees finite detail that we don't necessarily see in things, which makes his ability to do puzzles quite amazing amazing because he also has quite a good spatial awareness. He doesn't do a puzzle by looking at colours or anything, he just does it purely by shapes and he does it quite amazingly quickly. It's just quite incredible to watch. He's also very structured and routine in the way he approaches his world. So every day is a little bit like Groundhog Day here in the Lumsden household. We go through the same rituals and the same routine, but that's very comforting to Callum and allows him to then function throughout his day because if he doesn't do that, then things go a little bit pear-shaped for him. But those routines and structures also make him a really fantastic worker where he's working. He's really structured, he's very routine orientated. So he just plows through his work because he is very repetitive and routine. So that strength is actually quite a a benefit in the role he does. He's also really keen to learn. He's always wanting to do what everybody else does. He he just wants to do the same thing as his twin does. I mean, I've come home today and he's decided he's done a load of washing for me and he's hung it out independently on the line. So that was a real good bonus to come home to. But he's really keen to do yeah, things for himself and to show what he can do to showcase his talents. So he's an amazing young man. He's very talented, but off the back of that, we have a few challenges. But yeah, he's he's a delight. Well, Callum, you one up on me, my friend. I'm a married man and I've never hung out washing before in my life. Now, that's a joke. But, <laughs> no, that's a joke. <laughs> Good on you, my friend. Well done. Well done. He's very <laughs> domesticated, which is great. No, that's fantastic. And I think just by listening, number one, I want to point out, I, this is why I think this conversation is so important because you can't just judge someone by one factor in their life and the fact oh. that he, the fact that he has what in a podcast I did with Trevor who 
you know, works for aspect. He talked about savant-like skills. Look, I think we could probably mm. place the puzzle stuff into the savant-like skills mm. category. And I think in addition to that, it, it just shows that someone can have such incredible skills, but then on the cover, you might just say, well, that, that would never be be possible so it and I think I experience that in a different way which is people think I'm just completely fine and don't require any support structures mm. you know those, and, and it, either way it's not right so is it fair to say before we go on to talking about mm. uh, support needs is it fair to say that Callum is Callum with his strengths because he's autistic not in spite of it Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. It is because of his autism and that is exactly what makes him the strengths that he does, you know, that puzzleness, that detail, that that ability to recall is just incredible. So, yeah, quite amazing. And it's, you know, he's, Callum is Callum. You know, yeah. we love him dearly for who he is. Well, let's talk about the other side of the coin. So, and I really do think it's going to be beneficial for those listening to get a genuine hmm. insight into what complex you know high support needs might look like for an autistic person so i'd love it if Mm. you could talk us through callum's support needs and also i guess share some of the challenges your family's experienced in supporting Mm. callum yeah no absolutely so callum at the moment does attend a, a work environment but over the years we've had various challenges and various different support needs as a family we've always advocated for callum so that started from day dot you know trying for him to be the best he he could be and in whatever setting that was that we found him in so over the the last 20 years we've had various settings he's been located in you know from school environments through to his current employment environment and based on those different settings has been different challenges the first time we actually met Tom Tom Tutton was when I had to call him into our local school because Callum's in a support unit there and the school just couldn't cope with with Callum so Tom introduced some supports there for us and then it became quite evident that that wasn't the appropriate setting we then moved on to a different environment for Callum, a, an SSP school that was geared to, to take someone of Callum's high complex needs. Unfortunately, after a, a couple of years, that no longer worked out because unfortunately for us, Callum was dragged across the floor there and was actually injured. So we obviously removed him straight away from that school and put him into another environment where I'm pleased to say that he received the support and guidance and care that he needed from that school. So Throughout his entire life, we've been strong advocates for ensuring he did have the right quality of supports. And I think the really important thing for us has been it's people who wanted to work with Callum and understood Callum. So we we refer to it as Team Callum because it is a team a team environment and it involves everybody in that team being on the same page for Callum. We all want what's best for Callum and that's to give Callum the quality of life that Callum deserves. So in different settings, we found ourselves advocating for various different needs that Callum's required. I guess I can relate to the idea that not everyone is on the same page or not everyone is on Team Callum. But from your Mm. point of view, for those that don't actually even have the experience or the insight, aside from the clear family challenges, how do you see the core support needs or the core complexities of providing the quality of life you want for Callum on a daily basis for, for people to get this kind of insight? It seems like it's an individual thing, it's a day-by-day thing, but more importantly, Mm. it's a team effort. It's definitely a team effort. So we're very fortunate that we have support workers who's come in and help with Callum, and that's what actually enables Callum to actually function in the community because he does require two-on-one because of his high level of support. And those support needs are not physical as such, they're behavioural because Callum needs to be safe in the community. More importantly, the community needs to be safe 
with Callum in the community, if that makes sense. Because Callum, whilst all those great attributes he, he has, he does become very fixated, very routine, very, he can go from zero to a hundred in, in seconds and you'll be left wondering what the hell just went wrong. So that's why we do need that level of support. In the work environment, Callum is the only person that actually taken in with that high level of support need. And that's only been due to the fact that we were able to provide the two-on-one support for him. And it's getting those two-on-one support workers who also have the same vision and have the skills that we need. So we're after people who are able to really relate to Callum as an individual, but are also not intimidated by Callum and also will see past the behaviours because invariably on a day-to-day or a couple of times in the week, there will be a behavioural episode. Unfortunately, and it is part and parcel of his behaviours, he will lash out at people. And that's just because he becomes overwhelmed and it's not necessarily at an individual. It's just, unfortunately, you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Callum, despite being a big boy, is very nimble. And so he just becomes quite overwhelmed with the world around him and he'll have a a meltdown and he'll lash out. Mm. So we've been very fortunate that we've got carers at the moment and it's taken us a number of years to get here. We've been through a number of different agencies and it's no reflection on the agencies in any way, shape or form, but not everyone is able to deal with the high demands of challenging children like Callum. It does really take some unique individuals because they're the individuals who are prepared to get hit. They're the ones who get bitten. They're the ones Mm. who get kicked. And they're the ones who come back tomorrow or even after that incident. They see through the incident and they see beyond the behaviours. They see Callum. And that's what's been really important for us is for all the people who are engaged with us that they see Callum for Callum. They see beyond the behaviours. Yes, they happen, but that's not what defines him. So when those instances do occur, and as I said, they do occur, but the, our carers are back on, they're back into it, they they see past it, they have a laugh, we have a chuckle, we have a bit of a debrief. We're fortunate that our behaviour therapists will debrief with our workers, they write incident reports, they work through what could or couldn't have been done differently, that type of thing. And so that's what then enables us to get him out and about in the community and actually give him that quality of life that mm. we want for him because we want him to work like every other member of our family. And he yeah. he wants to. I mean, he enjoy, he loves going to work. He really enjoys it. The recent floods have been a bit of a pain because he couldn't get to work. And it's trying to explain to him that you're not going to work today because it's raining. So sort of getting that through to him and that you'll be back again on Thursday because he so enjoys going. And they love having him. There were a few initial reservations to having some of Callum's high needs, but we worked through that with the ADE that he's he's at. And they were really keen to give it a shot as well, because normally someone like Callum would go into a living skills program. But for us personally, as a family, we were always very keen that Callum should work. I mean, probably spurred on by the fact that very, very early on at this school that we we did leave because of what occurred to him, we were told he would never work. He would never amount to anything. And that really stuck in our claw. We wanted to make sure he had the best opportunities like everybody else does. And so that's why we were always passionate when he was in high school or just school, actually. They started transitioning him out, you know, about two years in advance because it was always going to be a very slow process. These things weren't going to happen quickly for someone like Callum, his high needs. But working together with his employment, 
where he works at Thorndale here in Warrington, working there with them, the guys are willing to give him a shot. And we just worked through the process. We had to understand what could happen if things went down. We needed to identify workers who could work with him, workers who would fit within their own situation down there. And then also things like just how we would get Callum to work because Callum doesn't like to go in the car. All these sorts of things we're able to then work through because we all had the same vision. Everyone wanted to get Callum to work and that's how we then worked as a team and advocated for him. I want you to finish, but this is exactly why this conversation is so yeah. important, this honesty that we're hearing. Keep going. We went down there and we had a discussion around, you know, Callum being part of the, the production line there and he'd done work experience there through school for a number of years, which was really, really good. But there was, as I said, all these concerns about what would happen, you know, and risk management had to be done and processes. and. And unfortunately, Callum had had a number of instances at school where, you know, I can't shy away from it. He had smashed classrooms. He had smashed windows. A number of instances saw him suspended from school. And so obviously there was a bit of trepidation about him starting there, you know, in the work environment because, as we all know, violence isn't tolerated in the work environment. And all of a sudden you've gone from being a child in year 12 to now they expect you to be an adult. But really you're not an adult because you're still obviously with the intellectual disabilities and that. you still don't understand that. And his lashing out isn't a premeditated, it's just an overwhelming lashing out. And so despite even being with a disability environment, there were still those issues because, you know, you're out in the real world now, you don't have as much protection. So they're all things we had to work through. And so we did these assessments and all that type of thing. Everyone was on the same page. Everyone was willing to, willing to give it a go until something happened. So I'm pleased to say nothing's ever happened, but we, we did get a call there one day. I thought, oh, my God, why are they ringing me? You know, what's happened? You know, gosh, you know, has something gone wrong? And they just rang to let us know. They wanted to share a good news story with us. They had to stand Callum off the production line. And as I said, I thought, what the hell's gone wrong? What's happened? You know, right, right. He was working too quickly. So what had happened, he was in such a routine and he's such a machine that very structured, very routine. You tell him to put two buds and five wipes in the bag, he does two buds, five wipes, two buds. You know, he's just a machine. And so unfortunately, the rest of the production line couldn't keep up with Callum. So they then, you know, asked to stand him down and have, go and have a break to give the rest of the guys a bit of a chance to, to catch up, which <laughs> was music to our ears because we were also expecting the worst. Music to our ears to think, okay, he was just working too hard. <laughs> you know, how often <laughs> do you get stood down for working too hard? I mean, so seriously, give me a break. I mean, seriously, right? Give me a break. It really is extraordinary. Uh, you know, for the kid who was never going to work, you know, that's what we were told and this is it. And he's been employee of the month on a couple of occasions now. Yeah, they have just said to us, you know, given Callum's high level of need and complex behaviours, that he really is a star worker because it plays to his strength with his autism. He likes structure. He likes routine. He will actually just sit there and work to the bell. He's just in his own focus world, which is for the type of work he does ideal, which is absolutely fantastic. And I think what's really important, and I'm very thankful for your open, honest sharing of your life. This is a great snapshot of just to get a normal, everyday life on the road and to provide Callum his opportunity to live up to his own uh, his own mm. expectations and his full potential. It's complex. It, there, there are many oh. factors. So I think people listening, I, I really think now are going, okay, wow, there you go. That's that's a snapshot. And also, just I just want to briefly, it's not a question, it's a comment. I just want to briefly mm. say to those listening, and Cheryl, this, this is one of my button-pushing things. Like, If I go to work and I have an epileptic fit, you don't fire me or send me home for being violent, mm. right? But yes. if, I'm, if I'm autistic 
and I'm triggered. I have a sensory overload, which, by yes. the way, a meltdown and a shutdown, just so we're clear to people listening, is an uncontrollable action. I can't be reached. I can't control it. This is my issue. How is it different? I get it's different, but it frustrates me um, because the community think I'm actually being triggered in a way that I can't control, like yeah. might be the flashing of lights for an epileptic mm. seizure or fit or whatever. Yet mm, people mm. don't see it like that. And the fact that Callum can be triggered and then, God forbid, he acts differently to the rest mm. of the world. You know, I mean, in my opinion, the, the rest of the world can just catch up. It must be very frustrating because I know how it oh, is. Oh, it is. Definitely agree with you. I mean, it's also those instances where, you know, in the shopping centre we've had occasions where it's just become completely overwhelming for him. And nine days out of ten he shops quite routinely because he goes shopping every Sunday with a, a little shopping list. But then there's those odd occasions where it's just, either becomes too much for him or some of his obsessive behaviours become too much. And you drop to the ground in the shopping centre and the first thing that happens is the security guard says, call the police. We say, we don't need the police. Just stand away, leave us alone, back off, just leave us alone. We will deal with this. We don't need a spectacle. We don't need people staring at us. And we don't need the judgmental stares because people just don't get it. If he was three-year-old on the ground having a tantrum, it would be, oh, dear, never mind. Or if it was a medical episode, people would come and show care and compassion. They'd show care and compassion, Mm. right? And unfortunately, it's not any different, but people don't see that. So hopefully conversations like this can help people. And I guess that was just my my thought, my comment. But I want to... Yeah, look, I agree with you. Yeah, totally. I want to move on. And just by talking to you, we can see, you know, how some schools have treated people like your son throughout the years, mm. that's certainly not a one-off, that's for sure. But the, no, there, is a lot of, there is a lot of doom and gloom surrounding the way people, I guess, not only view autistic people, but obviously treat autistic people with complex or high support needs. Mm. And I can tell you with a seven-year-old autistic son, I would say, you know, it's just a daily battle, just trying to get school yes. to accept him. But despite all yes. the challenges faced, and by the way, this is just as important, the answer for me and my wife as everyone else listening, yeah. <laughs> I, in a way, I almost don't understand how you've been able to maintain such a positive, optimistic <laughs> view. And this is not about Callum. This is about me and my wife. And I'm saying, and I'm, a, yeah. I'm an autistic person. My wife's neurotypical. <laughs> but I just think it's brilliant and it's amazing and I love it. And I'd love you to explain to us how you've been able to maintain such a, you know, an optimistic view of Callum and maintain that belief in his potential through all the good times and Mm. all the bad times. How have you managed to do that? And where has this kind of resilience come from? I think it's, we're fortunate that we're, we are strong people. We have come from that place. We had other children. So we're very fortunate. They're also very supportive of us and with Callum of early age. So like a strong basis there. And I think it's just been one of those things which may seem a little bit cliche-ish, but I've always strongly believed there's people worse off than us. Even on my darkest days, and and I can tell you we've had some. We've had a house that had no windows. We had shrink wrap windows and we had broken doors and walls and people would come in and say, you're renovating. I say, actually, no, this is the way we live. But even in those moments, I've always felt there's people worse off than us. So that's been something I've always believed in. And I think as well that I'll be honest with you, we yell and scream at each other. We're no perfect family, but we yell, we scream, we move on. And so I don't keep it bottled up. If I've got something to say, I'll say it, which may not always be the best, but, you know, we get it out and we move on. And I think that's the the good thing with us. We can say stuff, we move on. And then we have a laugh about it. We can sit and think, my God, what the hell were we doing trying to pull him back down off the fence or whatever it (laughs) might have been, you know, or... Was it really appropriate to do a nudie romp next door? Like you've got to have a bit of a laugh about these things and don't take it 
too seriously. No. Do you know what I mean? And, write, write this down. Um, I'm writing this down. And this, these, these, these are good yeah. things, by the way. Don't bottle it up. Don't bottle it up. Let it yeah, out. No. And, and, you know, have a laugh and about stuff. It's good stuff. Have a laugh. And, I mean, and we tap out. Like if you have those moments where it just becomes too much and you just think, I just can't do this, we'll, we call it sort of tapping out and we'll walk out. And there's nothing wrong to say I need to go out and take five and, you know, I'll have a chat to the washing machine or the clothesline or yell at it, whatever. Mm. But then you come back in and you feel composed. So there's no shame to say I need to take a break. I need to walk away. Because 100%. it's those things that we all just get to that point some days and some days you can do it without an issue. Other days you just need to have that break. And that's, I think, what's helped us that we can just rely upon each other and we can say, look, I need to tap out right, can you come? Yeah. We've got a daughter who comes and helps us quite a lot. So we're very fortunate in that respect as well that she comes and helps. So we've got that ability that, yeah, if it's too much for one of us, the other one taps out. And we've, as I said, good support workers. And it's taken us a while to find some really good people because it just is a matter of getting the right people. We've now got a group of people who rotate in and out with us throughout the week and the weekends. And I think that's been also something really important for us. The NDIS has actually allowed us with the funding that we now have for my husband and I can we get to go out on the weekend. So Callum doesn't access Redspot because that's been completely unsuccessful for us over the years. It's never been a positive experience for us or Callum. So we've actually now opted to do Respite in the home. And with the funding that we do receive, we're fortunate that we are able to then go out on a weekend and we'll go out throughout the day. And that gives us a chance to also get away, have a break and do some of those normal things that people do, like go and visit our grandkids, go out, have a coffee. And that's been something in the last couple of years that I think has also really benefited. And that's been as a result of the funding we were fortunate to receive. But having said that, fortunate, but we also advocated quite strongly for. Yeah. We were strong advocates. We get the plan we don't agree with it, we go back. You know, <laughs> it's something that we sit down, we go through with a fine tooth comb, we calculate the hours we need, all that sort of thing. And if we don't like it, we challenge it. And I think that's one thing I would really be encouraging all of the people who do listen that you don't have to accept it. You can go back and challenge it, you know, and that's been something we have throughout the last 20 years been really strong advocates on. We have really challenged at various levels for Callum, for his support needs so that he can be that best he can be and that's also then of course allowed us to as I said have those break times for him you know he enjoys us going out now it's really quite funny because he says mum go out come home afternoon tea he knows it will come back about the same time he has afternoon tea every day so I think he actually really enjoys having a bit of uh, bonding time with his carers because what happens is We've got a couple of young fellows of the weekend. They sit down, they watch the movies, they do a bit of painting and art with Callum, they make muffins with him. He really enjoys that time with them because they treat him as a 20-year-old and he really enjoys that time with them as well, which is absolutely fantastic and which is really, really good because they've all got that same shared vision of Callum being the best that Callum can be. Yeah, but also time away from you guys. I mean, we can talk about parents getting time away, but it's good for him too. He like getting oh. time away from your parents. That's what's brilliant about this. I think. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> You've started talking about the support stuff and I really want to just quickly unpack this a bit. It's changed through the years. We've got the NDIS mm. now. From your point of view, you kind of talked about support workers that are that are there for the right reasons and they can really provide mm. and respite at home, which I think is brilliant, amazing. How good would that be? I mean, my wife and I haven't really been out ever for seven years. So, yes. so <laughs> how does it actually look from when you started your journey to right through the years to now, how does the have, oh. have, have we reached it? Have we got, are we there? How does the best kind of support needs look? It's still evolving. I think 
from where we started, you know, years ago, from our perspective, it's it's evolved. I mean, we've been fortunate along the way that, you know, we've had services through Aspect, a number of different programs that we were involved in with Tom and, and Jen and Steve Davies in the day. So we've been very fortunate to have received those supports early on. So getting early intervention when Callum was three. So we've had those supports. We moved them through various different support structures with other organisations and, and different care bodies. And it's certainly been a journey. And I think now we're getting into a different part of our journey because we're now looking to see what can we do. You know, Callum's 20 years old. Like any other 20-year-old, they grow up and they want to leave home. And also from our point of view, we're ageing. We're getting older parents. And so we have to then sort of take it now to the next level of the journey, which is what does life look like for Callum as we continue to age and he continues to grow? How many, you know, as boys or any kid grows up, they want to start to leave home. So we're looking now in what what does that look like for us as ageing parents who we come a point that we won't be able to actually physically deal with Callum. And how does that actually, how does that actually make you feel like when you actually actually have to you actually have to confront that sorry to stop yeah. sorry to stop you oh but- no it's no it's but it's confronting like you have to then realize you know you've got obviously your own aging you've got your own health to consider and when it becomes quite physical your own yeah your own health because i mean you can get injured you know and we have all been injured in varying degrees you know so it is very confronting it's then trying to work out what is the best thing to do so we've started already in our mind we have a plan and our plan is such that we want to have Callum stay in our family home because it's the only home he knows and we were also fortunate that we as I mentioned, we're very strong advocates, we're able to prove the NDIS that Callum's supports and his nature, his disability needed, that he needed to have a home that was safe for him to reside in. So we've been very fortunate that all our walls are now reinforced. We have glass windows that are actually all safety glass, 10 mil thick. We have a number of restrictive practices that we use with Callum for his safety and for ours. And that does involve what we have called a chill room. So we have a a room in our home which is actually padded. And I mean, I suppose to some people that might sound a little bit odd, but it is restricted. We are under guardianship orders with that and we report each month on the use of that room. But this is what you need for children Callum's complex needs. What that's all leading to is that we will be looking to have Callum stay in this home with support workers mm. and we will ultimately look to look to move out. And this is like over the next couple of years, it's not about to happen, but it's the plan that we would look to move out. Callum will stay here. And by us being involved with his plan management, we can pick and choose the workers. So if I don't like you, I'm not employing you, which is very different if I put him into a, a home and obviously there's lots of good homes, but there's also lots of other homes you hear lots of horrible stories about. In yeah, my well, there mind, was a, there was a royal commission. I mean, we did. We had a, <laughs> yeah, that's right. We had it for a reason, didn't we? You know, so we want to be in control of our child. So we will have him stay here. We'll hire and fire workers or through agencies that we engage with. And as I said, at the moment, we're very fortunate. Our belief has always been as much as our children would look after Callum, it's not their life to lead. They have their own lives and we want them to be part of Callum's life, but we don't want them to put their lives on hold for Callum, if that makes sense. They, you know, they're married, they have their own children, will have other children. And we want them to be there for their brother, but I don't want, and my husband shares the same comment, we don't want Callum living with them. He needs to live in his own home 
with his carers, his support needs and allow them to come and visit him like they would yeah. have, you know, a day out, whatever. But we don't want them having to put their lives on hold because we know as much as we're a positive family and, you know, all that sort of thing. And I understand what you said about not having been out for seven years because we hadn't gone anywhere. You know, family holidays don't exist. Family outings don't exist. You know, that thing just doesn't happen. And we've been fortunate that, as I said, in the last couple of years with getting support workers and the funding, we have done that. But I couldn't tell you the family holiday we went on last. Actually, I can. It was when Callum was eight years old. We flew to New Zealand because Ken's a Kiwi. It was a trip I will never forget because of the plane trip and all that went on. But it was the last family holiday we ever had, and he's now 20, you know? I hear you. I hear you. Mm. I'm with you. I totally understand. And I think before I ask you one more question, I really do think Mm. this is just shows the complexities that you're dealing with that I I couldn't even fathom. And, you know, for your children, they're not you. Like your children aren't supposed to be Mm. the new parents. They're not taking over a family business. But by the same token, you've also got other children who are also part of a process where, in effect, their family home is being given to or or, or taken by one of the siblings for their best interest. And that's a complexity as well. And, oh, my goodness, I just – I mean, you you obviously – anyone listening that doesn't doesn't have these kind of things is going, hang on a second, well, if I'm I'm one of the siblings, that's my home too. I mean, so these – you obviously raised an amazing family, a supportive family, but it doesn't change the fact there'd be complexities and there'd be – There'd oh. be disagreements and issues, and I just, I just, I, I can't even fathom how you do it. And I mm. think that's exactly why this last question is super important for those listening, because I don't even know how <laughs> the the things that you've gone through, you've been able to to navigate, but you've clearly built up a a wealth of experience raising all your children, including Callum. Now, what advice? would you give to a family with a newly diagnosed autistic child where it's clear that there are co-occurring conditions? Honestly, I think just any child on the spectrum, to be honest, but what, mm. kind, of, what kind of advice do you give? The, the kind of things you wish you, you could tell yourself when Callum was born, when you were yeah. younger. I think it's one thing is to, we've always wanted to work to his individual strength, find out what motivated him and work to work to that strength. I think it's also not being hard on yourself when things don't go according to plan and just understanding that you can't please everybody. Do you know what I mean? You have to please or deal with what your family situation is and deal with that. That's always been the most important thing to us because a lot of people just don't understand. They just don't get it. And there's no point trying to explain because they just simply don't get it because, you know, he's obviously just a, a badly behaved child. Obviously, I'm just a poor parent. You know, all that is just obviously, as we all know, crock. But there are some people. That's our life at the moment. That is our life right now with a seven year old. They're they're just not going to get it. There's actually underlying issues. People just don't see that. So I think to me, it was just focus on what was best for Callum, do what's right for Callum, have the right support around you, and look to get the right support. And if the persons or agencies you're dealing with aren't the right ones, Don't be afraid to walk away. Keep looking until you find what you're after. But I think it's just always have that belief that you want the child to be the best that they can be regardless. As any child, that's what we all want for parents. I want the same thing for each of my four children to be the very best that they can be and then support them to do that with whatever it is that we need to do. So to me, I think that's, yeah, just identify what it is, have those strengths in mind and just treat them like we do any of our other kids. We all just want them to be the very best that they can be. And along the way, we all make bumbles and we won't always do it right the first time around, but if we just learn from it and we take it from there. Never bottle it up, have a laugh. 
have a laugh. And look, honestly, have a laugh. Don't take yourself too serious. Life's far too short to be too concerned about, you know, this and that. And when I think about some of the things we've chuckled about or some of the you reflect on and think, gosh, what must people have thought? They would think I'm a crazy woman, you know. But, hey, look, we're still surviving. We're still here. We're still laughing. And we can sit down and have a bit of a chuckle about some of the things or some of the antics and I suppose in some ways you'd say you probably write a bit of a book about it because it has certainly been a very interesting 20 years to date and I'm sure the next 20 will be as interesting. <laughs> Thank you so much for being so open and honest with me. I mean, it's for the very least, it's been great for me. Oh, no, well, look, you know, <laughs> that's sort of the way we, we roll. We tell it yeah. as it is. And, you know, as much as Callum is completely amazing, we've never hid behind the fact that, yeah, he can also be completely challenging. But look, that's just one facet yeah. of him. And we, we look beyond that, do you know what I mean? But Absolutely. we don't hide behind it either. No. Well, look, thanks to, to Callum, your your other children, your husband, and of course yourself for allowing us to have a conversation about you and your family. It's been just extraordinary, this conversation, Cheryl, and I thank you so much for it. Thanks so much, Ryan. Loved it. Thank you very much. My guest on this episode was Cheryl Lumsden. Thank you for listening to A Different Brilliant. I really do appreciate it. Now, if the episode has resonated with you, would you please consider sharing it with your family and friends so we can reach more people. And if you'd like to continue the conversation, well, you should like the Aspect page on Facebook. You're also welcome to send me a message via my website, oriankelly.com.au. A Different Brilliant is an Aspect podcast. Executive producers are Lisa Cassidy, Dr. Tom Tutton and Julie Fenwick. I'm Orion Kelly. Thanks for listening to A Different Brilliant with Orion Kelly. An Aspect podcast on the strengths, interests and aspirations of the autistic community. Our door is open anytime. So like the Aspect page on Facebook or visit autismspectrum.org.au. My aim, make the world a better place for autistic people.